once was a man named Abram, who was a descendant of Noah. God told him to move with his wife Sarai, an entire family away from where they lived. God made a promise. I will make you into a great nation and bless you, and all of the people on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram and his family left. At one point, they stopped and God told him to look around. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your children. Then, one night, God took Abram outside. Look up and count the stars. This is the number of children you will have. But Abram was already 75 years old, and Sarai was way too old to have children. So they decided that Sarai's servant Hagar should have Abram's child. Hagar became pregnant and gave birth to a son named Ishmael. Yet, God told Abram again, You will be the father of many nations. God changed their names to Abraham and Sarah and promised that it would be through Sarah that God's blessing would come. Exactly as God promised, Sarah became pregnant, giving birth to a son named Isaac. When Isaac was still a young boy, God told Abraham to take his son up on a mountain and sacrifice him. Abraham took Isaac, laid him on an altar, and took out his knife to kill him. But an angel stopped Abraham, and God provided a ram to sacrifice in place of Isaac. Years later, Abraham and Sarah died and left everything they owned to Isaac. Isaac married and had twin sons, Jacob and Esau. Esau was Isaac's favorite. And as the oldest, he was set to gain his father's inheritance. But Jacob wanted the inheritance. So he came up with a scheme to trick his father, who was now old and blind, into promising it to him. He dressed in Esau's clothes and put animal skin on his hands, because Esau's hands were very hairy. Confused, Isaac gave his blessing to Jacob and promised him the inheritance instead of Esau. This caused a huge fight, one that almost ended in murder before they went their own ways. Thankfully, they reunited, and God promised to bless Jacob's family. Jacob had 12 sons of his own, and like his father and grandfather before him, Jacob had a favorite son. Little did Jacob know that his favoritism would put his son, Joseph, in danger of being killed by his own brothers. So you know where we're at in the story. Last week, if you were with us, uh, you got to see the beginnings um, as we talked about Genesis 1 uh, through basically 9. And today we'll be starting in Genesis 12. So if you have your Bibles with you, I want to open up to Genesis 12 or it's also in your notes. And, and just so you know, there are a few Bibles in front of you. Uh, you're welcome to take those with you. If you don't have a Bible, um, take that. Take a Bible with you. We want everybody to have a Bible. Um, and so those are for you. Um, as you are looking at your notes and getting uh, those out, I want to um, read for you uh, Genesis 12, 1 through 3, because that's where we'll be beginning 
this week as we take a look at God's story in Scripture. One of the things that we're trying to do is to show you uh, what the Bible is doing as we read it. A lot of us, we, we pick up the Scriptures and we just start, start reading and we're not really sure, okay, God, what are you saying? What are you doing? Where are you going? Where do I fit into all of this? And uh, so what we're doing along this journey is we are seeing what God is up to and how we fit into this story ourselves. And so Genesis 12, verses 1 and 3, go like this. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. If you're taking notes, go ahead and underline a great nation or I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in all you and in you, all the families of earth shall be blessed. Go ahead and underline in you all the families of earth shall be blessed. So what we see here in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, is we see God promising a man named Abram that he is going to, through him, make him into a great nation. We are later told if you were to keep reading and you would get to Exodus and you see this nation starting to develop and to take form, you would see that this nation is called to be a kingdom of priests and a holy people. In other words... Uh, they are to represent God's moral character and then show God to other people by also drawing people to God himself in the way that they are in community with one another as a nation or as a country in which God is forming. If you were to open up your New Testament Bibles and turn over to 1 Peter 2, you would discover that one of Jesus' best friends teach us that the church exists for this same reason. That we too are a holy nation, a royal priesthood, set aside for God's own possession. And so what God has done is He's continued to bring people together so that they might reflect the character of God and draw other people through their community to Him. To be a light in the midst of darkness is the way that Jesus would put it, and also that John says it. Being a great nation is a difficult thing. If, if, if we've learned anything probably from the wars in both Iraq and Afghanistan, I think one of the things to take away from it would be that nation building is very difficult. Would, would you agree? Right, nation building is extremely difficult. In fact, I think if we were to start over right now, even in our own country, do you think we would form the United States of America? Uh, probably not. Uh, the, what we learned last week was the reasons behind all of this. Is that people, by their very nature, they have come from Adam and Eve, and by their very nature, they are sinful and corrupt, and we just don't get along. Uh, both leaders and the people in whom they lead have sinful and rebellious hearts. And so to get people and to move forward and to form a group of people heading in the same direction after the same things is a very difficult thing to do when people's hearts are corrupt. What I want us to look at here, though, however, is 
God's pick to start a great nation, to build a nation. His pick is Abram. We know a, a few things about Abram. We know that uh, he descended from um, Noah. And so in chapters 10 and 11 of Genesis, you get this uh, genealogy that passes down and it keeps going. And eventually you get to Abraham. It starts with Noah. It ends there at Abram when you see this call. And so you have Abram whose family came from Noah and would have known about the flood. He, they would have heard about why God destroyed the earth because of lack of righteousness and the, the inability to worship the one true God. And yet in Joshua 24, we are told that Abram's family, they were idol worshipers. In other words, that they didn't worship the God who flooded the earth and who was Noah's God and also saved and spared Noah and showed Noah mercy. So when God here is calling Abram out, here he is calling him away from his family and from the religion that he once walked in. Uh, one theologian put it like this, when, when Abram was called to leave his father's land, he was called to leave his identity, in other words, who we associate with, who makes us who we are, and then also our security. His father had land, he had a place to be, a place to sleep, a place to eat, people to take care of him. And so Abraham leaves both. The second thing we know about Abram is that he's old. Older, right? That's a better way to put that. Um, he's older. His wife, Sarah, is barren. And so they are unable to have children. And yet the promise seems to be predicated on his ability to be able to have a child. If you were to, if you were to start a nation, and if you were to start a people group, who would be your pick? Would it be somebody like Abram? Uh, somebody who's probably never really led a whole lot of people before? Or would it be uh, a successful businessman? Or a great speaker? Or maybe somebody with a lot of experience? Or somebody with a lot of... you name Who would you start a nation with? Here, God's choice for greatness, to start a great nation, not just any nation, a great nation, is probably a lot different than the type of person that you would start with. It reminds me of what Paul has to say here in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. That God, by his very grace, is going to pick somebody very different to do different things. And he's telling Paul this. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. A guy named Paul wrote this, and Paul is, is very much responsible for the church. He's, he is responsible for teaching people about Jesus and what the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus means. Uh, we sit here today and we can read Paul's writing and we benefit from the ministry of Paul. What we're told about Paul in the New Testament is that uh, he had a lot of physical ailments. Um, he was probably short, not great to look at. Um, we're also told that he wasn't a great speaker. 
and other words that Paul didn't have a whole lot of power with in himself. He had a great mind as you read his writings. You, can, you know that he's a smart man. But God planted a lot of churches through a man in which my wife likes to say probably looks like Danny DeVito. All right. He's probably not the person that that type of person that you're going to start uh, a lot of a lot of great things through. But here's one of the secrets that I believe that God wants to let us in on this morning as we read the story of Abram. And it's this, that God does not need you to be great to do great things in your life. God simply needs you to have faith in his power. That's, every, that's, that's what this morning is about. Is that God does not need you to be great. For Him to show off His greatness, God simply needs you to have faith in His power. And so if you're taking notes down this morning, just write this. God, doesn't, God does great things through people of great faith. God does great things in people of great faith. You know, it reminds me of the lady who um, just kept praising the Lord and everything that she had and everything that she received and she would yell out praise God for this and praise God for that and eventually her neighbor got tired of her doing it and so every time she would yell praise God and give thanks to the Lord for something that she would receive her neighbor would yell out there is no Lord she would yell praise the Lord he would yell out there is no Lord well one day a big snowstorm came and it trapped her in her house and this older lady um, she was sitting there praying and she said, I, I need something to eat, Lord. Will you please supply me with some food? And so all of a sudden there was a knock on the door. She walked out the door and there was a basket of groceries on her doorstep. And she screamed out, well, praise the Lord. You answered my prayers. And her neighbor from behind the bushes stepped out and said, I told you there was no Lord. I put these there. And she looked at him and smiled and said, well, look, the Lord even had the devil pay for it. (laughs) You see, what we're able to do and what we're able to receive from God is all predicated on the greatness of our faith. And it's this way as a church. right? If, If we really want to do great things as a church, if we want to be the people of God as a church, we've got to have great faith. If you want to see God do great things... In your life, you have to step out in faith. That's what our walk, that is what our call is about, and this is what God expects from us. And here's what I want you to know, is you don't have to be a polished speaker. You don't have to be a gifted leader. You don't have to be wealthy or popular or any of those things. You don't have to have had a great life. You don't have to have, a, have had a great upbringing, right? God can use fatherless men to be good fathers. He can. God can use a quiet woman to open up a Bible study in her home and to change a neighborhood. God can use a single mom to raise her, her children and maybe even a few more and to provide for them so that they might come to faith. You know, that's, that's part of my story. Uh, those of you, right, if you've been around here long enough, you know that I wasn't necessarily raised in a Christian home. We didn't, we didn't go to church. We didn't study the Bible. None of this was taught in my home like I'm encouraging you to teach your children. 
Uh, and so after I started going to student ministry, I made a, I met a young man named Stephen. Stephen had a mother named Teresa. Stephen and I became best friends. We would, I would go over to his house with his three sisters. I ate there all the time in high school and in middle school. His mom would, would get home after my parents and I ate supper because his mom worked two jobs because she was raising three kids and then now me. Um, and she would feed me every night. She would have me over all the time. And she was constantly sharing her faith with me. I eventually became a Christian. And this woman helped nurture me in the faith. And not only that, the single mom who had been divorced a couple different times. Uh, you know what all of her children are doing right now? All of them are following the Lord. God is, God is not going to limit you. To your past. Right? But much of what you will be able to do is limited to the greatness of your faith and your trust in God. God can use whatever situation you're in. God started this own this church by a woman who went door to door asking people to come hear the gospel. It's not predicated on it's not predicated on you. Predicated on your faith in God and what God is going to do in your life. Now, if you notice in verse 1, uh, God says, hey, leave everything you've got. Leave your past behind. And as far as we know, Abraham's past, it wasn't that bad. We, we, we know that he wasn't worshiping God, but seemed to have a decent family. But he said, hey, leave everything behind and go to land that I will show you. Now, personally, I find that really interesting uh, because I like a plan. <laughs> um, to a land that I will show you is not much of a plan, uh, right? Uh, God, you're gonna, you're just gonna want me to go over there. Uh, can I get a, can I get a few more details? How, how this is going to work out? But look at how Abram responded here. Go ahead, look. Um, so Abraham went, right? He, he heard God's call, and he went as the Lord had told him, without all the details, without any of that. And so I wanted to find faith for us in this way. I want us to help us. I want us to understand faith in this way. Faith is obeying God even when you're not sure where you're going. Faith is obeying God even when you're not sure where you're going. In Hebrews 11:8, we're told, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Abraham simply here, he believes God, and he believes that whatever God is calling him to is going to turn out for his good. There's some people here this morning, you just need to hear that. Whatever God is calling you to, it's going to turn out for good, even when we don't see the plan. There are things that go on in our lives that we just don't understand. Well, God, I understand that you're calling me to be a blessing and to do this for other people, but uh, it would have been a lot easier if you would have let, let me keep that job that I had. Right? Uh, God, you know, I really want to get into this school. Why, why did I get denied? I was hoping that that relationship would have gone a lot differently. What, what, are, you, what are you doing? Maybe you thought you'd be in a better financial position than what you currently are. What we see here is 
that Abraham goes trusting God in spite of the circumstances. He answers the call. He answers the call of God. So many of us, I think, we don't answer the call of God, perhaps because we're afraid of failure. Okay, God, I believe that you're calling me to this, to do this for this person, to do this in this area, to do this for this ministry, to do this thing at work. And and yet we're afraid of failing. But the trouble with all of this is that God measures success much differently than we do. Uh, you, You see, our plan might look much different than God's plan does. Here's how God is going to measure success. This is why we're talking about Abram this morning. Here in Genesis 15, 6. It says, And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. So your success in life, your success in you following the Lord, is not dependent on whether or not your plan goes as planned. But your success as a follower of Jesus is totally dependent on just whether or not you were faithful to the Lord when He calls you. Do you get that? So, God says Abraham is right in answering the call. Not in anything that he has actually done. But in his believing that God can do whatever He's going to do when He's called it to him. This crazy faith and trust in God. I believe that if Abraham, he gets his name, I'm going to get into that. It's, it's hard to call him Abram all the time when you're so used to calling him Abraham. Um, I, I believe that if Abraham and Sarah, here, his wife, could come back to the dead and kind of share a few pieces of, of advice with us, here would be one of them, or maybe a, a regret here is that they regret actually in their lack of faith in God. Uh, and they would tell us to have great faith in God. I, I can tell you this because in Genesis 16, 1 and 2, I just want to show you um, one of the moments in which they lacked faith. In Genesis 16, 1 and 2, it says, Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Now here, Sarah is basically saying, you know, it's been a long time. I know that God promised to give us children and God was going to use these children uh, to bless the nations, but I'm not sure like God's plan is really going to turn out. So she started to doubt what God is doing. And you can imagine, uh, you know, some of you, right, you've, you really maybe even wanted children and it just hasn't turned out the way that you wanted it to turn out. Or maybe you've had a miscarriage or anything like that. Um, and, you know, she's older, so she knows that she can't have children. It would have been a miracle in the first place. But this doubt and the disappointment that would have been in her heart and her mind. And she would probably felt like she was letting her husband down. And so she says, take my, take my servant here. Take Hagar. Perhaps God wants to fulfill his promise through Hagar. Uh, and even in the midst of the doubt and the disappointment, if you're reading this, you, you kind of, uh, you, you feel for Sarah 
Um, and it seems like she's got good intentions here, right? Her intentions are right, but what happens is she creates, she creates a new problem by not trusting God. And there's the old saying um, that the road to hell is paved by good intentions, right? Well, her intentions are good, but these new problems creep up. Because Hagar has a child and they name him Ishmael and there's this, this short-term problem that comes up in Sarah's own heart. She becomes jealous because now her, her husband has a son with a, another lady and she, can, she, just seems, she just knows that there's something off here. And so what she does is she basically is going to ask them to leave the house and go away. Now, the Lord promises to provide for both Hagar and Ishmael. But in the short term, Sarah is broken and she's hurting even more. And then in the long term, we are told that Ishmael is going to start nations himself. And as you keep reading the Bible, what you discover is that Ishmael's people are constantly at war and fighting with Abram's eventual people through Isaac. And so she created, created a bigger problem through her doubt in God and through her lack of faith than if she would have just kept her head down and kept going. I think if they would come back, they would help us to define faith as this way as well. Trusting God even when it doesn't make sense. They would encourage us to trust God even when it doesn't make sense. You know, it, it doesn't make sense for Sarah to have a child. She's 65 when they received the call, Abram 75, and yet see what happens here in Genesis 17, 5, 15, 17, and verse 19. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. And God said to Abraham, as for your wife Sarai, you shall not, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abram, who fell on his face, laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a woman who is a hundred years old? Or to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, said the Lord, and you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. So what we have here is at 100 years old, Abraham, Abram's having his name, which means exalted father, changed to Abraham, which means a father of nations or a father of multitudes. By the time you're 100, you're probably kind of used to your name, aren't you? Um, even if you don't like it, you're probably, all right, I'm good with my name. Sarai becomes Sarah, based on both of those mean princess. Sarah was a princess with children or without children. Sarah is a princess with children. Her status in front of God and from the rest of the creation does not depend on her ability to have or not have children. And so at 190 years old, they are promised that they are still going to have a children and that God promises to do that. What, what he told him, they were what he told them they were going to do about 25 years earlier. God has not taken back that promise. If you're Abram, Abraham now, 
you are thinking like, well, God, are you sure you still want to do this through Sarah? Like, you know, I have another child out in the desert right now. Um, this, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So he starts, he, he starts to laugh. He says, it's comical. Isaac means to laugh. And so God says, here, I'm going to do something that doesn't make sense in your life. And so he gives him the son a year later, basically, after this, and they name him Isaac, the son of laughter, the son of joy. This would be the son that he was raised, and this would be the son that would grow up and produce a multitude of nations and bless the world through himself. We get to the point in the story in Genesis 22, and this is probably the most famous story concerning Abraham and Isaac. So Abraham has his son Isaac. And picking up in Genesis 2, verse 1, we are told, And sometime later, God tested Abraham. Here's what you need to know. Is that God is actually going to test your faith. God will test your faith. You will not be tempted beyond what you can bear, nor will God tempt you to do evil. But God will test your faith. And in fact, you can measure your faith by your uh, willingness and your actions to obey or to disobey. Jesus' brother James said, what did he say, church? That he said, right, faith without works is dead. And so, your faith can be tested. You will be tested on trusting God even when it doesn't make sense. You get that? So, here is what he is tested to do. And this is a very difficult thing. So, God says to him, Abraham, here I am, he replies. Then God says, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain that I will show you. Underline a few things here because you're just going to want to see this this morning. Uh, Underline your only son whom you love. Now, here the test is to Abraham in the depths of his commitment. God is asking him to take his only son. What he means by that, obviously... Ishmael still exists, but his only son continuing to live with him, the son of the promise that has been made, who he deeply loves. And he's asking him to take him up on this mountain and to offer him as a sacrifice. Now, this is a really interesting thing for us, because when you get to Deuteronomy, what we're told is that a human sacrifice is outlawed for the people of God completely. And yet the religion surrounding them had human sacrifice. In fact, throughout the entire earth, you see human human sacrifices going on, even if you were to travel to Central America and study the Mayans and all these sorts of things. And yet, for the people of God, this was never something, something that was ever approved. But our viewpoint in all of this is limited. In all of this, think about it. Last week, Abram, or excuse me, Adam and Eve were told not to eat the fruit. Noah is told to, hey, I know it's dry out right now, it's not raining, but you need to build a boat. Um, Jesus uh, tells us to take things, sell them, give it to the poor, to love our enemies. Abram was called to leave his homeland. Our, our viewpoint is 
just limited in all of this. And, and yet Abram, like he so often does as you continue to read about him, he, he, look how he responds to God here. God asked him to do the most difficult thing on the face of the planet and early the next morning. Early the next morning after speaking with God, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. It's almost like without hesitation, all right, God, you're, you're calling me to do this. Early the next morning, he loaded up his donkey and he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. If you're taking notes, go ahead and underline, underline, we will worship, underline we, we will worship and then we, underline that, will come back to you. Now, that's really interesting because Abraham seems to be committed to taking his son up there and sacrificing his son on the altar. And yet there is this expectation that both of them are going to return. In Hebrews, we're told that Abraham, Abraham began to scale the mountain and understood this call in such a way that he believed that the same God who gave him the life of Isaac could bring Isaac back to life after he took it. In verse 6, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. If you're reading this or hearing this story for the first time, are you a little uncomfortable? Yeah. Yeah. You should be. Uh, a man is about to slay his son. Um, but the thing about Scripture, is, you know, sometimes it's, it's going to make us a little uncomfortable. But you've got to keep reading. You've you got to keep reading. And that's why we're going through the story. That's why we're going through all the Bible here in 32 weeks. You've got to keep reading. You've got to know all of it. Verse 9, when they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your only son. The angel here, go ahead, this is an interesting thing. The angel of the Lord here. You see this happening a couple different times in the Old Testament. The angel of the Lord happens to be God himself. The angel says, you have not withheld your son from me. Now, this is either the Holy Spirit or... This is Jesus himself showing up and stopping this. Verse 13. Abraham looked up and there in a the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. 
He went over and he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So, the, so Abraham called that place. Go ahead, church, read that. What do you call that place? The Lord will provide. That was weak. All right, one more time. Ready? The Lord will provide. All right. And to this day, it said, on the mountain of it, the Lord, of the mount, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. One of the reasons we keep reading this story is because this story is what we would call foreshadowing of what is to come. 2,000 years later, in the same region, probably on the same mountain, a man is sacrificed. A substitute. You know, John the Baptist in the Gospel of John, when he sees Jesus coming and starting his ministry, John says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We know that Jesus is God's only Son, whom He loved. Wood was placed upon His back, and He was pierced for our transgressions. This is what we are being shown here through Abraham and through Isaac. That there is one to come that will die and will be sacrificed. This nation that is going to continue on through Isaac. As you saw in the video, Isaac has a son named Jacob. And this is where the promise is going to continue. Jacob, through his trials and temptations and his fears and failures, one of the things that he teaches us is still the most important thing that you can do is to have faith in God. Jacob has 12 sons. One of his sons is named Judah. And it, it is through Judah that Jesus will be born. Jesus is a descendant of Judah, a descendant of Jacob, a descendant of Isaac, a descendant of Abraham. It is through Jesus that we are all called to faith. It is through Jesus that we will receive the blessing. You see, the interesting thing about this is that we are called to faith here, not because it is our nature to be faithful, but because it is God's nature to be faithful to us. That's what the cross teaches us, is that on a whole we are quite faithless. And we rarely place the type of faith that God deserves in God. And so on the cross, God is showing us how much He loves us by giving us His one and only Son so that we might know that we are loved. So that we might know that we are forgiving. We are called to have faith in God because He has been faithful to us. This is Abraham's blessing to the world. And this is simply what God is asking you to consider this morning. Is will you trust Him? Will you have faith in Him? Will you have faith in His love? In His call? In all things? Let us pray. Father, this morning, I pray for the faith of our church.
You call us to have faith in Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Today we ask that you increase our faith so that we might not sin against you. Father, pray we, we, today we pray that you give us the kind of faith that calls us to service and draws others to you. Give us enough faith to go places we haven't been and to do things that don't make sense to others so that we might truly be a blessing to the world. Father, I pray today for those who have never trusted in Jesus. Father, I pray today that they will trust all of their life with you. We all recognize that faith in you and trust in you is a scary step because it's hard to leave our past behind. We want to cling to it, whether it's good or bad. And yet today I pray that people begin to start a new one with you. I pray that you give all of us a desire to see how you truly bless, bless us when we trust and obey you. Father, we pray that at least one person steps out and begins their journey with you today. As in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.